Well, praise God. That was a beautiful thing. Thank you, the praise team and, and Amy. And truly, it is from God from whom all blessings flow. However, we're going to talk about not blessings flowing, but woes are flowing again as we're getting near the end here of Revelation. I encourage you, welcome to you to turn to Revelation chapter 17. Back in that chapter uh, 16 was just one chapter of bowl after bowl of woes being poured out. All the more than we're thankful for the blessings we have in Christ. But these are um, bowls that um, cause us to, if you remember last week, to, to reflect upon God's full and just judgment that will come. Someday that judgment will flow out. But now, today is the day for salvation. Now is the time to repent. Now is the moment that we are to turn to Jesus Christ. Now, our text this morning brings on the stage a a new character. There's been one reference made to her. It's back in chapter 14. And that reference reveals to us her peculiar, her particular power. We're told in 14.8, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now our chapters, chapters 17 and 18, present a profile of Queen Babylon. And it's summed up in the title that's on her forehead in chapter 17, verse 5. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. She is, as verse 1 states very clearly, she is called the great prostitute. Now, why is she given this designation? Well, it's, it's fitting, of course, in that sexual immorality is the hallmark of her, of, her, of her culture. That is, the worldly culture. Physical lust is a deep-seated root in man, and once the restraints are removed, as they are in any culture that abandons the true God, well, then it's going to become a widespread sin. But there's another reason for giving her this designation, because sexual immorality here is also used as a figure of speech for an even deeper rooted and even more widespread sin, and that is idolatry. Now, idolatry is giving worship to any and everything else other than the true God. And so back in Ezekiel, in that prophet, God condemns Israel for being a faithless bride who commits adultery with the gods of pagan countries. Queen Babylon has committed sexual immorality, we're told, with the kings of the earth. Her, Her lascivious culture has seduced all the nations. She's spoken of as as riding on the scarlet beast. And that indicates that she is a partner with Satan and with his beast. And because of such, she is also the great enemy 
of God and of God's church. And she is a formidable enemy. We're told in 17 verse 6 that she is drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. Now, chapter 18 reveals more about her through the laments that are made over her when she falls. She is mourned by kings, the kings who had lain with her. And this depicts the power that she had held over the earth. Okay. Nations, empires, all were under her sway. We're told that merchants weep over her. Because she was a great city that was rich in commerce. She might, she could be, you might say, she's New York City. She's, she's London. She's Tokyo. Hong Kong. She's all the great cities of the world that are a mixture of sin and immorality. And also mixed with that is, is wealth, spectacular buildings, beautiful culture, fine foods, beautiful arts, clothing, jewelry. She is all the cities that are filled with their splendor. The sea traders mourn over him because they have now lost their livelihood of trade by which they have been made rich. Artists and craftsmen weep over her, for they have lost their patrons and customers. Queen Babylon was wicked, but she had been the fruitful source for, for everyone, for the business, for the arts. Indeed, she had become so mighty on the earth that the earth could not flourish without her. And her downfall is the downfall of all the kingdoms. Now, who specifically is Queen Babylon? Well, no doubt the churches, the people, they're listening to this in that day, they're thinking of Rome. Rome with the seven hills. Rome with the succession of emperors who are pretending to be gods. Rome that had begun by this time to persecute the church to make martyrs out of saints. Rome that was filled with luxury, that was powerful, that was filled with sexual immorality. Rome which lay with every god that it came across. But such a Babylon has always existed, not just in the time for Rome. And it fits the profile of every empire, great nation and city before Rome, And after Rome, hers truly is the oldest profession in the world. Whether it's seen as sexual immorality or whether it's seen as spiritual idolatry. Ever since the fall, man has gone his own way. And wherever he has built great cities, and he has built great cities and great civilizations, they have ultimately been marked by sexual immorality And by idolatry. Because Queen Babylon is an effective seducer. And chapter 17 indicates that this queen, it's not just that she's going to always continue to flourish, but she's going to grow in power. And in her attacks against God's faithful, it's going to keep leading up. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. 
until that last battle comes and that judgment comes. And in chapter 18 indicates that through the, you know, as we listen to the mourners lamenting over her, that she's going to reach such a height in her powers that she will have seduced the whole earth. Even so, the fall will come. And she will find her partners, even the beasts and Satan, they will turn against her. And her fall will be sudden and complete. Her glorious sitting will become, we're told, a haunt for every unclean and detestable spirit and beast. Chapter 18, verses 7 and 8, wraps it up this way. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, And she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And so as powerful as she may have been, as glorious as she may have have seemed in her her position to to seem uh, unable to, to remove her from that, how high her wealth may have been, she did not take into account something. And that is the power of her enemy. Mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Now she might, as 1718 noted, have dominion over the kings of the earth. But she contends against the Lamb. The Lamb who is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Chapter 17, verse 14. She may have had, had as, as her allies, All peoples and and multitudes and nations and languages. She forgot that the king of kings also has with him those who are called chosen and faithful. And they too were told back in chapter 5. They come from every tribe and language and people and nation. What Queen Babylon did not understand was this. That as she seduced the earth. As she was made herself drunk with the, the blood of the chosen and faithful to God. All she really was doing was filling up for herself the full vengeance of the Lord. As we're told in chapter 19. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. This is the great worship that is taking place. 
Now, where is this praise happening? Well, we're back in heaven. In the throne room of God, where we were back in chapters 4 and 5. And what's, what's being told to us here is that God has never been off of his throne. The Lamb had never been shaken. There was never a time of doubt or fear. Queen Babylon lived a lie to herself. All this glory that she thought that she had was a farce. This this power that she exalted in was a sham. She was looking in a false mirror. She was never the glorious bride that she fooled herself to be. And her so-called mighty husband, that, that beast, well, he turned out to be just what he was. A beast. A wicked, traitorous beast. But there is a true bride. There is a beautiful bride adorned with true jewels and with true fine linen. There is a bride who has a true, glorious Faithful bridegroom. We're told of him in 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, this is the comparison, or rather the contrast that John wants us to see. There is the unholy prostitute clothed with the, the deeds uh, or with the deaths of the, of the martyrs, clothed with the abominations of the beasts. And there is the bride who is clothed with the righteous deeds of the saints. There is a prostitute riding on the, the blasphemous beast and with him appears that she's going to reign over the nations. And then there's the bride who belongs to the Lamb, who is the Lord our God, the Almighty, who truly reigns over the nations. There's the prostitute who, who claims to be married, who says that she will never be a widow. And then there is the bride being made ready for the eternal marriage with the Lamb. And finally, there is this this celebration, this final celebration over the prostitute, over her fall. And it is because that fall is making way for the celebration of the marriage between the bride and the lamb. Now, we have rehearsed again and again the themes running through Revelation. They're, they're simply this. God is in control. All events, however frightening they may be, are either unleashed by him or restrained by him. His people, the church, are called to endure, to remain faithful, whatever takes place, 
there will always be some form of persecution against God's people. And in the final days, such persecution will rise to a crescendo. As Queen Babylon holds sway over all the peoples of the earth, even so, our King, the Lamb, will prevail. And the church can look to her marriage day as the bride of the Lamb. You know, our text today gives us insight into what is lasting and what is momentary. What is of true beauty and what is of false pretension. So let's, let's think about these things for a moment. You know, what, what strikes me in chapter 18, chapter 18 is the, the chapter of the laments, is how heartfelt the lamenting is over Queen Babylon's fall. As verse 18 says, what, what city was like the great city? Because however much sin flourished in the city of Babylon, so did beauty and glamour. She was, we're told in verse 16, clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with jewels, with, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. And however many sins were piled up, so did, so did well. Traders, merchants, prospered in her economy. Now, it's true, we're told here, that, that slavery thrived. But also, also industry uh, thrived. So did agriculture thrive. And as a result, many precious products were produced. They're, they're listed in verses 12 and 13. Let me read them. Gold, silver, jewels, Pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, Horses and chariots. There was prosperity in this city. And however much sin again was displayed, so the arts produced wonderful works of music, fine jewelry, fine craftsmanship. These were works that caused delight. In other words, what is being described is our world. Our world is a mixture of, of beauty and of ugly sin. It is a mixture of, of prosperity and of oppression. And the more enamored we become of the beauty of this world, the less we become attuned to what is, really what is deceptive, false, what's wicked. The more we, we are caught up in becoming prosperous, the less willing we are to acknowledge oppression and injustice. Or, or to put it another way, the more we become focused on what is temporal, the less we look to what is eternal. The world is too much with us, said Wordsworth. The, the pleasures and the prosperity of this world they not only blind us to the sins of the world, but they also leave us unsatisfied 
We become bored. We become restless. We even become depressed in the midst of our prosperity. We, we're always needing something more, something new to satisfy us. So what is the answer? Well, the answer is, is not in self-discipline. It is not through denying ourselves pleasure. It's not even denying ourselves the pleasures produced by this world. Now, the answer is looking away from Queen Babylon and looking to the Lamb and his bride. Remember, she also is clothed in fine linen. She is adorned with jewels. Her linen is made up of the righteous deeds of her people. Her jewels are the imperishable beauty of a gentle and righteous spirit. Her beauty is deep, not merely surface. Pleasures are satisfying because they are of eternal worth. And they correspond to the needs that we were originally created for. Hers is the joy and the glory of the Lamb's kingdom. And it's a joy that can be tasted now and will come into his full glory at the marriage feast, chapter 19. Queen Babylon's lamenters mourn the loss of her glory and prosperity. But that was the loss of her surface and her temporal glamour. And it makes way for the deep, eternal glory, beauty, and joy that belongs to the bride of the Lamb, that is given to her by her bridegroom. Judgment is coming, but only to give way to the consummation of Christ's kingdom. And that work that he began on the, that he began on the cross, and on that work, he, on that cross, he began to reverse the curse of the fall. And that reverse will be completed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the first full picture of that consummation, it's, we got that coming in the, the last two chapters of the book, but it is glory. It is glory. But here, meanwhile, while we are upon this earth, we still can have our first view of the marriage feast. And from it, we can understand this, that the temporal pleasures of the earth Good pleasures of this earth. They give us a glimpse. They give us a, a taste of eternal pleasures awaiting us. See, instead of turning away from pleasures, let the pleasures turn you to the eternal joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul Tripp writes about this in his chapter that he wrote on called Hardwired for Pleasure. He wrote it for, for that book I edited, uh, The Problem of Good. Let me, let me read an excerpt from that. He says, God's common grace of pleasure reminds us that no one ever faces a day devoid of his grace. His grace shines through the sun, is whispered by the wind, and comes wafting to us in the smells of spring. The fact that he showers beauty down on us is not an endorsement of who we are and what we are doing. Rather, it is a global revelation of who he is. 
You cannot look out your window or walk out your door without seeing grace. Open your senses to the sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell of the world of pleasure. And remember that each pleasure points you to the one of unlimited glory and grace. And there is more to be said. God not only created a world of pleasure for you here and now, despite this world's brokenness, but he will also one day welcome each of his children to a world of of holy beauty and endless pleasure. You could argue that the biblical story begins in a garden of untainted beauty and pleasure and ends in a city of perfect beauty and pleasure. The beauty of the garden is a sign of God's grace. The journey from garden to city is a story of God's grace. And the final destination of pleasure forever is there only because of his grace. And that grace was first displayed for us upon the cross. When the Son of God left his home of glory and pleasure to become our servant and to die for us. But I want you to think about, why did he die for us? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, for the joy that was set for him. It is joy that has the last word. And you can enter into this joy today. You can be at the table of that glorious marriage feast. Just turn to the beauty of the Lamb and follow him. We thank you, our God. You are a beautiful God. We thank you for our bridegroom, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is one of great beauty. And we thank you for that day in which we shall enter fully into that beauty ourselves. How can it be? We, with all of our sins, all of our baggage, all of our ugliness, will enter into complete beauty ourselves as we are married with our Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we give you thanks for him. In his name we pray. Amen.